Hello everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Floor is Rising, with host Sabretooth, a professional NFT collector, and Kizu, a professional art critic. On this podcast we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting and analyzing NFTs. So, if you are a creator or a collector of NFTs, jump in. The water is warm. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Floor is Rising. With us today is Michael Gord. Michael is a very busy man in crypto. He's the co-founder and CEO of the Metaverse Group. He's also co-founder of GDA Capital, founder at MLG Blockchain Consulting. He's the director of the Digital Bits Foundation. He started crypto when he was at college, university. He was the started uh, the cryptocurrency club at McGill University, among other things. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Michael, tell us, how did the Metaverse group start? What's the origin story of, uh, of that? Yeah, so for a bit of background, I had the good fortune of being at the ETH Waterloo Hackathon when CryptoKitties came to market. I can't remember whether it was 2017 or 2018. So I've been familiar with NFTs from the day that they were introduced to the world. I didn't think that the growth curve was going to be this fast, but here we are. And I was pretty convinced that eventually they were going to be a significant part of the blockchain ecosystem. But for the first year or so, I didn't really follow the market. And there really was no market, actually, except for CryptoKitties, which which I wasn't super convinced would in the you know long-term value of which which might or might not be right but it was really my partner jason cassidy who's who's become a a dear friend we met from the he was we were both on the board of directors of the blockchain association of canada in like 2015 uh he had followed the market very deeply and following up with catching up with him one day a few years ago he was the one that explained to me the value proposition of of the metaverse, he'd started to buy land and how NFTs would be integrated into the land, into the metaverse experience. So that piqued my interest, had me go down the rabbit hole, started to acquire my own portfolio of, of metaverse land. And we realized that no one had branded metaverse as, as a corporate entity. So I got all of the metaverse domain names that were available. And we started initially what's, what's called Metaverse Properties, which was the first company in the world to help people buy and sell Metaverse real estate. And we never actually operated that business, though, because the value of land was in the thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. And a couple percent of, of thousands of dollars was just not worth our time. So we'd help our friends for free. Wasn't until a little bit later that the value of land started to grow exponentially, and the conversations about the metaverse we started to have were started to be with family offices, private equity, real estate developers, et cetera. That we decided to kind of securitize our portfolio into the metaverse group and build out a, a Brookfield model business vertically integrated in the real estate capital market or virtual real estate capital market, I should say. Interesting. So, so you're saying that you formed the the business because of inquiries from essentially institutional investors who are interested in in kind of buying virtual land. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Well, we realized that it was a much stronger value proposition for us to securitize our our portfolio into the business, 
and to create experiences in our portfolio to do joint ventures to acquire more land and to eventually start to rent our land as the demand started to increase, which which is where we're at now. If a family office or a real estate developer or a private equity investor wants to get exposure to the metaverse, they could either buy land themselves, but the same as the real world, if you buy land in the real world and you just sit on the land and don't build, it's it's possible that your land will appreciate because land is scarce, but your land certainly won't trade at a multiple like it will if you build something that's cool, some you know an experience that generates cash flows on your land. So uh, we wanted to provide a way for that audience, private equity, family offices, and real estate developers to get exposure to the virtual real estate asset class and metaverse market in an actively managed way. Okay. So just so I'm clear. So what happens is they would sort of invest with you guys. You guys would sort of custody the assets on their behalf. And the value add is that instead of them having to kind of do all the deals or, or, or find ways to sort of build on top of their land, you guys as a, as a group just manage, can sort of consolidate all the holdings together and, and essentially provide sort of value-added services, building partnerships on top. Is that the kind of the business model? So we're not custodying other people's assets. We're only custodying our own assets. And we're not, if someone owns land they want to build experiences on, we can certainly do that either for a fee or as a joint venture. But the model is that um, real estate developers, family offices, private equity investors that want to get exposure can invest into the private equity of the metaverse group or into the public equity of tokens.com, which is a quarter billion dollar public company that owns now about 70% of metaverse group to get exposure to the metaverse real estate asset class in an actively managed way, because we are not just holding the land. We are building experiences that are reasonably likely to generate cash flows. Michael, I, I was curious about the initial adoption process by your clients, which include family offices as well as institutional investors. The sense I got was that these clients were more amenable to investing in Decentraland and other metaverse real estate, more so than fungible crypto as well as NFTs. Each investor has their their own thesis. Some are more interested in the fungible side of the market, so it's in my best interest as an entrepreneur to have opportunities in the fungible side of the market for our ecosystem of of investors and you know family offices and some are more interested in the nft and metaverse market and specifically the metaverse market has gotten a huge amount of mainstream attention after facebook rebranded to meta and after businesses like uh, JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley introduced the market that they predict the annual revenue of the metaverse to be in the trillions, plus with world-leading businesses like Ralph Lauren introducing collections of clothes in virtual worlds, and as a result, having their revenue, in, like the bo- their bottom line revenue, increase by double-digit numbers, it's starting to be clear that this is not a fad. Do you think that that's 
partially because these clients see virtual real estate as an easy analogy to physical real estate? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. I mean, all of it technically is speculative. And while things are speculative and not certain, there's also a lot more potential alpha, like potential upside, also more risk and more downside. But yeah, I think the rest of the profile picture movement is more an asset class that is understandable to a crypto native audience, an audience that has created wealth in crypto and wants to diversify their crypto wealth in the crypto market. So things like punks or things like apes, although they might be a a great investment that actually generates cash flows through the airdrops for a more traditional investor, it's a big jump in thinking to want to put hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars into NFT art. Whereas most family offices and many private equity investors have real estate investments. So yeah, I think land is a lot easier for the family office or family office investor or the private equity investor to understand, traditional private equity investor to understand and to want to get behind and explore. Also, I should add that Once again, traditional businesses, Web2 businesses like Facebook, doing the biggest rebranding in history from Facebook to Meta is a pretty clear indicator that that this is where the market's going to go. Did you guys see a clear sort of delineation in terms of interest in in your group prior to that rebranding versus post? Was there a massive jump in interest? Extreme jump, yeah. Following the... Facebook rebranding, we'd have a hundred people on our site at all times. We'd get thousands of people. Re- and, you know, we we on on an ongoing basis have quite a lot of of website traffic activity and people reaching out organically. But yeah, following that, it was pretty insane for a startup to have a hundred people on their site at all times and have literally thousands of people every day reaching out. A lot of it was nonsense, you know, mom and pop shop wanting to buy a parcel of Decentraland real estate for $50, not really understanding the market, but a percentage is, uh, was, was, and, and is very valuable people reaching out, wanting to get exposure. Do you guys think about like picking winners and losers, or are you guys trying to get sort of exposure across sort of the entire asset class, like the virtual asset class? Whether I agree or disagree, our thesis with Metaverse Group is to focus on metaverses that we can today generate cash flows from, like generate rental income from. So we want to be focused on blue chip metaverse lands, prime locations that we can have iconic experiences built with a very small percentage of our portfolio in the tail end kind of the market. From Metaverse Group, we are not focused on being a venture capitalist. We're focused on being a brookfield for Metaverse land, buying land that we can cash flow to buy more land with the objective of going public later this year as the first public Metaverse company, public on public markets, but also focused on the public open metaverse as opposed to Roblox or Facebook that are focused on the closed private metaverse. With that said, I see massive opportunity 
in the kind of next generation experimental metaverses. So our objective is to create a metaverse fund that can also co-invest with the metaverse group on blue chip opportunities, but that has a, a wider thesis that includes uh, investments into metaverse digital assets, investments into equity of metaverse companies, and you know the more experimental early stage metaverses that might explode by a thousand x instead of decentraland that I think you know will explode by a hundred x kind of thing. Can you walk us through? You know what an example of of that or a case study of yeah so decentraland recently came to market that they were going to be hosting for the end of march the annual metaverse fashion week that is going to have 28 iconic brands i believe decentraland is announcing some or all of the brands on friday uh, as well as celebrities walking those brands or walking the uh, collections from those brands on a runway in a district that looks like Fifth Avenue or Rodeo Drive uh, or Bond Street in London. Or And actually, the cool thing about the metaverse is that one day it can look like Rodeo Drive, the next day it can look like Fifth Avenue, the next day it can look like Bond Street, the next day it looks like there's a volcano beside it, and then it looks like space the next day. So we can kind of change up the experience daily we're not there yet, of course. That's quite a lot of building that needs to be done, but that's the future. Every day being able to go and see a different collection based on the, you know, if there's a fashion show somewhere in the world, then we'll be able to host it in the metaverse. So some of those brands are going to want to, some or all of those brands are going to want to maintain their presence on Fifth Avenue or Rodeo Drive, and we're not selling land we're providing the ability for these brands to maintain their presence through renting. What is the current yields on the land? And I'm not sure that publicly, I, it's in my best interest to, decl- to disclose how, how we think about it. How do you see this rental model going forwards? Like, let, let's say in like five years time. I think it'll be the similar to the real world, right? So in the real world, most of the world rents because buying is too expensive buying a district is not for sale. Like if you were, for example, buying Soho when it was farmland in 1800, it would be affordable to buy a neighborhood of farmland. But after Soho is created, the owner of Soho isn't selling blocks of Soho. They're selling the ability to rent storefronts in Soho and rent apartments in Soho. Um, There might be the ability to buy a building in Soho but even if you're buying a building, um, you're decreasing your, like there's very few people that are in the market to buy buildings and, and buying buildings is more of an institutional activity. Because we got in quite early, we have an eight-figure portfolio of, of land that we're working with. It's it's not very simple to, like you need, you need quite deep pockets to be able to compete at our level. Not only is it the access to capital, but it's the experience with building. And there's very few builders in Decentraland. And of the quality builders, they're backlogged. The way that the market's going to change is that right now we're thinking about rental as, as our primary source of revenue. But our objective is that there's only so much land. And if you have like an iconic shopping mall or an iconic commercial district, and there's so much demand for a store there and stores are so profitable in that location, then as the owner of land, 
or as the owner of the buildings, you can enter into agreements where you earn a percentage of sales. So that's where I think that our business really explodes is, is profit sharing with our tenants. And if our tenant is not willing to profit share, there being a, a lineup of other businesses that want their want their land, like want their you know storefront because their storefronts are printing cash. As we've seen in the in, in the latest market, tons of you know smart contract chains have sort of come out, and and the driving force behind it is kind of no one. Well, there's just a bunch of people that's not happy to kind of build on Ethereum, and they're always looking to to build the next thing, the the next best thing. And from a virtual real estate perspective, do you see a similarity in that sort of Decentraland was was definitely kind of the, the OG, the one that came out first. But as kind of the metaverse has sort of grown into the public consciousness that more and more developers, companies want to, want to sort of do their own metaverse, right? Everyone wants to do their own metaverse instead of building on top of, I guess, other people's metaverses. Do, do you see that, that similarity? If we think about the metaverse and then then i'll compare it to the physical world or uh, maybe kind of blend the two but decentraland has had first mover advantage for sure and the technology required to build a blockchain based metaverse is with nft owned land is not simple so decentraland grew from fifteen thousand users to six hundred thousand users last year representing a times 40 growth if you Think about like New York City, for example, or Hong Kong. New York's a better example. There's a lot of islands in the Northeast US that could have become New York. New York became New York because there's been centuries of individuals, businesses, institutions that have built New York into New York over generations. And if someone wants to build a new New York on another island in the Northeast US, it's possible, but that doesn't mean New York isn't still going to be New York. And to bring all of the mindshare away from New York to a new island is not something that happens overnight. It's not something that a single individual can do. It's something that, you know, an entire <laughs> the whole world needs to do over generations. So right now, Decentraland and, and Sandbox, I would say, but Sandbox only came to market a, a couple of weeks ago. Sandbox also requires complicated, um, like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not as simple to just sign into Sandbox as it is, as it is Decentraland. So right now, Decentraland is, is being built by celebrities are building, uh, J.P. Morgan just built, Walmart just built. So, and, you know, with Metaverse Fashion Week, we have 28 of the biggest fashion brands in the world that are building in, in Decentraland. So as there continues to be more and more people building Decentraland, then Decentraland has the New York effect where all of these builders compound and people want to build where other people are building. And, you know, if someone else wants to create Boston or wants to build up a new island, all the power to them. But there's already mindshare in Decentraland. How do you view what the core user experiences in a metaverse? I think the events are hugely important to drive mass adoption of these worlds in this early stage. And so Decentraland, some of these have participation from like uh, Dead Mouse and Paris Hilton and quite a lot of celebrities had participation from, from quite a lot of quite a lot of celebrities. And because they were doing a 
a big event that was was going viral and was attracting a lot of eyeballs it made it something that was cool enough that all of these musicians could all rally around whereas if they hadn't hosted something like that then it might have taken quite a bit longer to to reach all of these all these musicians similarly with this fashion week eventually fashion brands retail brands might have started to participate and and build experiences and, and create wearables but because they were hosting this initiative that is you know currently going viral and that uh, is getting participation from was they already have had signed up some marquee participants there was a, an initiative that that they could rally the, the fashion industry around to bring a lot more participation than waiting for one group at a time in a physical city as opposed to a virtual city so you mentioned how new york manhattan has you know captured a certain mind share it's it's kind of like a premium is it a tier 1 city or I think it was, as you suggest, like there's definitely some intangible elements that contribute to that. So it's not just about real estate prices and things like that. And I think a, a big part of that actually has been um, architectural heritage, for example. Like, does a city have history, culture, things like that? And this is where like urban planning authorities come into the picture, right? So they have zoning laws, they have you know, heritage uh, preservation guidelines, building regulations, things like that. So it's obviously not about just maximizing or building vertically and, and maximizing floor area ratio and things like that. I think because Decentraland is virtual rather than brick and mortar, experiences can change up day to day. Uh, whereas in a city, if you built a road going a wrong way or you've built a a building that in a bunch of buildings that just don't go to take it down is is very expensive and very slow. Whereas with Decentraland or with any any virtual real estate, it's, it's all code. So you can copy and paste code and move it to a new location or you can you can change stuff around much, much faster and cheaper than you can in the real world. With regards to like your your question about kind of individuals monopolizing real estate, I think Decentraland already has thousands of holders. I think similar to to the real world in, in any big city, there are institutional companies that own, you know, percentages of of the land. And I think that in, in Decentraland it'll be or in the metaverse overall, it'll be similar. There'll be institutional firms that own own chunks. Uh, if a single business wanted to buy up all the land, the value of, of land would increase exponentially fast because there's not that much land for sale. And of the land that is for sale, there's very little that's at the floor price. So as soon as someone starts to buy, especially in bulk, then it goes up exponentially fast. So, how do you think about the growth of not just Decentraland, but just all the sort of the voxel metaverse sites, right? From Sand to Crypto Voxels to, to all of them, in the sense that if you look at what's happening in you know Web two world, average age of a Roblox user is under fifteen. I think average Minecraft player is twenty four. These are the two biggest sort of Web two 
metaverse kind of worlds. And the huge growth is basically triggered by, you know, the young age of the of the users, right? Because younger people have a lot more time than they do have money and it's a lot more viral. If you look at like a much older site like Second Life, their average age is in, you know, late 30s. Do you see that as being like a as a hurdle in terms of adoption? Just the expensive price of the land leading to the older um, age of the owners and therefore the, the virality factor is much less. I think that it's actually the, most of the owners are younger people that got in at the at the beginning and have helped. Um, I don't think that it's majority owned by traditional businesses or by older individuals. It's mostly owned by, by metaverse native individuals, I think. When all of the older real estate companies end up getting in, which is, I think, going to happen very quickly, it's also going to become exponentially valuable to land because there's just not very much of it. Do you think that the people who are owning it, owning the land are going to be the same people who are going to be, I guess, playing in it, populating it? I think it'll probably be fairly equal percent of people that own that, that rent, like, like, you know, people that own the land that rents it out versus people that own the land that actually use it for, for their own experiences. Uh, similar to the real world, right? Like a percentage of people that own lands or own buildings or whatever, use the land for their own store or their own home or their own building or, you know, whatever variation of that. And probably about an equal percentage own land that rented it. Do you have a favorite or a a developer or <laughs> city that you admire and, and think could be a model uh, moving forward in terms of virtual real estate? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm biased. I'm a proud Torontonian. I think Toronto is a, an amazing city to, to live and had the, the good fortune of seeing the rest of the world be built before starting to build. So I think that, that Toronto has been able to build in really livable elements like uh, green spaces and like kind of a, a big city, but walkable. And then I think the coolest city in the world is, is Hong Kong. And I think it's more likely that Decentraland becomes more similar to a Hong Kong or a New York than, than a Toronto. Um, just as a result of the amount of demand, I think that it's going to end up building up rather than out. Awesome. Michael, it's been great having you on. Uh, you enjoyed it. We, we kind of quizzed you on a lot of sort of basic, but but also some non-basic questions on um, on metaverses and, um, and virtual land. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thanks, guys. Really interesting questions, really good discussion. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, my pleasure to, to participate. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Floor is Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow. And give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor is Rising. You can reach out to us or send us a question. Just send us a DM at Floor is Rising.